Hey, welcome to the Mostly Skateboarding Podcast. I'm your host, Tim Boltonelli, and I'm joined this week by Mike Munzenreiter and Patrick Kagongo. Let's talk a little bit about post-skate careers and demos. Summer is right around the corner and people are getting out into the world again. For skateboarding, that means demos. For many of us, a demo is the first time we ever saw professional skateboarding in the real world. Mike, you're going to a demo this weekend. What are you hoping to get from this experience? So it's a big Adidas demo. They've been going around the Midwest. I think they're in uh, Michigan and Chicago recently. They'll be here in Minneapolis at the Familia HQ. And um, this point in skateboarding, it's basically it's just to see those heavies like Daywan, Mark Zushu, Businitz, and uh, Nora is going to be there among like a bunch of other interesting skaters. And I think um, again, you know, I'm 40. I've been to many demos over the past 25, 26 years. And it's like, it's, it's way more academic at this point than it was early on when, like you said, Templeton, it's just like, I want to see high level skateboarding. I don't care what it is. Like you're so excited for any given demo that rolls through town with this. It's like, I've never seen day one in person. I've never seen Suchu. So it's, it's just kind of like, okay, so, so what are these dudes actually all about? It's almost like, yeah, finally being able to evaluate something we've watched on video for so long. So that's that's my draw, and I'm hoping to see some people because it still is kind of like you don't see people right now. Yeah, it's it's a social activity for the scene for sure. Yeah, Patrick, do you have any early demo memories? Hmm, I was quite late to the demo game, but the one that really stands out to me was seeing Eric Costin skating the KCDC mini ramp in Brooklyn. This was probably. Um, I want to say summer of 2004 or 2005. It was probably 2000. Yeah, it was probably summer of 2005. That's and like think, peak Costin. Yeah, it was peak Costin. And so um, I feel like I grew up real fast watching him skate, mm-hmm. skate a mini ramp in, in real life. And since moving to LA, I've gotten to see a lot more demos, gotten to see a lot more pro skate. But you're right. There's something different about a demo. Because growing up in the 1990s, you would see stuff in tour contest demo sections and videos or in um, the contest demo sections within 411 Video Magazine or later Logic. The thing about it was that I loved the stories. I love I loved reading about the, getting a whole bunch of people in a van and sending them across the country because in some cases it was a thing that broke a team. In other cases, it's where they decided, hey, we're going to be on a mission before and after every demo. So I would flip it and ask y'all, what do you think in 2022 makes for, what's the right combination of people, vibes, and van that makes for a great tour and makes for a great demo? I think you got to have some, some arrogant, big personalities for the demo. You know, I, like a lot of skaters are a little bit introverted and maybe don't want to show off, but a demo is just all about showing off. Uh, I remember listening to an interview, I think with Tommy Sandoval, and he was talking about doing demos with Jamie Thomas and how in the beginning he would go out on the course and just do like the heaviest tricks right out of the gate. And Jamie had to tell him like, dude, you got to like build up. You can't be doing the hardest tricks right out of the gate. You got to like, you know, do your lip side, Smith grind, whatever. And then, you know, do the fatty to flatty front side flip or whatever. And like, you got to get that crowd excited and then give them a payoff. So I, I thought that was pretty interesting. And like, it, it's interesting that Jamie is like thinking about it to that degree, you know, like he's putting on a show, which is what a demo is, you oh, know? Yeah. 
is basically a concert tour. Mike, what about you? What do you think? What makes for a great demo in 2022? It's the in 2022 that I that, that is kind of the sticking point in my mind because I feel like the classic demo where clear the courts, the dudes are here, you know, like that's kind of fallen by the wayside. Everybody's skating all the time. It's more jam, jam oriented. Maybe, maybe the perfect demo for 2022 to have a demo that's a demo in my mind is you got to have, yeah, that like just gravitational skaters where they start doing their thing and everybody's just like, oh shit, we're sitting down. We're going to let these people actually skate. Random story that popped to mind you know, with the with the Tommy guns example, thinking of like what doesn't work and maybe dudes who 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 struggle with it. I remember a girl demo in the late nineties. And I don't want to call him out for struggling. Great skater, Mike York, showed up in Minneapolis though, and I think he missed like three backside nose slides on on the ledge, focused his board, wasn't seen again. <laughs> <laughs> Stuff like that happens and you know, off days happen and Oh yeah. yeah that was that was a funny that was a funny one. What? Great demo, though. I mean, yeah, in Mike York's York is... defense, I saw Mike York at an Endless Grind demo, and he did a half-cab flip on the bank, skating with a full bottle of water in his hand. And Ooh. he was just generally ripping that whole day. So shout-out to Mike York. Sorry you had a bad day when Mike was there. The Dedication to Mike Lake York. Street. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Knowing the real, speaking the intellect. Um, speaking of Mike York and folks having trouble at demos. The weird thing about demos is that unlike say a band or any artist going out on tour where there's a little bit of a routine built in, it's unless you are running really, really late, you usually have some time to unload, set up, sound check, maybe grab something to eat, relax for two seconds, and then you go on and play. There are often instances where skaters will basically go from the van immediately to the shop or wherever. We're going to do a bunch of signing and then we're going to do a demo. So maybe another thing is like giving skaters time to actually warm up, warm up, not just on the court or wherever it is that they're skating, but also to be like, hey, I'm awake. I have coffee or pizza, whatever it is I need to start my day. And I can actually be a regular human as opposed to basically crawling out of a van after being on the road for eight or nine hours and being expected to skate at pro levels. Yeah, I remember reading about, I think it was the DC Super Tour, and somebody was like, yeah, we had like the best demos ever because we would go to the skate park the night before and skate and like figure out the park and be comfortable and then do the demo the next day. So yeah, I think, I think that's like a big factor. Like you got to create the right scenario for peak performance. Yeah, they, oh, they broke the mold. DC were on one when they did the DC Super Tour. That little four-on-one clip that they did where they're skating to Inner City Life by Goldie. Oh, different one, yeah. Oh, oh, I guess there's, a, there's another version because I guess like rights and clearances. Um, but there's also, I think it's in issue 20, it's the World Blind 101 Prime Plan B. I think it's all of Dwindle Tour from, I think it's summer of 1996. And it's everybody skating to... The Replicants, it's a cover band covering Cinnamon Girl by Neil Young. Uh, yeah, good God, that's good recall. I remember that section. But like, that was like a, like, I don't think, could you do something like that in 2022? Like, be like, hey, we got a stacked team. We have a stacked distribution. Like, for example, could you picture like an all deluxe tour, you know, or all dwindle tour in 2022? Would it even make sense to put that many people on the road? It's probably too expensive. Yeah, I don't, I don't know how the economics play anymore and how necessary it is anymore. 
because there used the, to be like a barnstorming aspect, you know, and I know at least up here in Minneapolis, like if there was a demo, especially in the 90s, it, it opened up in the 2000s more. But if there was a demo, I mean, this might be your only chance to see so and so like you might not get another try at it. So you'd better go. And it was it was odd for them to come up here. Whereas and, Mike, you worked at a shop. So did you see demos affecting sales like you know, when zero rolls through, are zero sales going up the next, the following couple of weeks? Oh, I mean, especially in like the skate park setting, you'd, you'd buy it, you know, you'd buy 26, you know, two dozen boards from that brand. And yeah, you're selling all of those for autographs. It was, it was definitely a bump, you know, and we'd, we'd have it where maybe the shop, one of the shops brings in the demo or maybe they're splitting the demo fee with the skate park. So, you know, you get the sign at the shop and then the, the, the show moves to the skate park, but yeah, I mean, I, they, they were crazy draws. I mean, what year was this? It was post the sorry video, but flip came out early two thousands to the third layer, the new third layer. And I've never seen that many people show up for anything. That was like the biggest draw drawing event ever. It must've been 700, 800 people. And I remember the owner of the park secretly worrying that like the ramps were going to collapse because there were so many people in there and it was a hot, minnesota summer day and so there was so much humidity in the park that the floor was getting wet it was oh bizarre so and that was bad. one of those where it was like such a zoo and you know i was a big i've always been a big skate nerd but like apple yard and so on and so forth are out there i'm like i'm not even into this it's too much of a fucking zoo mm-hmm. Didn't and watch. so you know going back to the idea of um the tour as proving ground for a team or or where you can make or break a squad. You know, we've talked a lot about uh, tours that, or, uh, or demo tours where that led to people leaving, getting kicked off, uh, a whole bunch of people getting kicked off. What, I guess I wonder, like, what makes a, like, for you two, like, if you were on tour, what would make a great tour? And I, I think both of you have tour experience, skate tours. Uh, what made great tours for you back in the day? Like, what made y'all feel like, oh, this is the best day ever? Actually, y'all remember like uh, the narrator? I think it's actually one of the background people in the, the sweater song by Weezer. No. And I didn't like, know what you're hey, talking about. Hey, like, hey, Bob, you going to go to the party after the show? Oh, this is like, this life is so rad. This is so great. Like, what gets that kind of reaction? Like, what, what's the thing that makes you feel like, wow, I'm, do, I'm in the right place doing the right tour wide? Man, I think good spots, good food, and enough downtime, I guess. Yeah. Because it can't just be go, go, go all the time. Like, you got to be able to catch your breath, recover, and, like, enjoy the skating. You know, it can't feel too much like work the whole time. However, we're all 40-plus now, (laughs) officially. And so our concept of downtime, relaxing, enough time to stretch, exercise, eat food that's not total garbage, this is... This is grown, you know, this is grown folks business. You remember being in your early 20s, being able to sleep on floors like it was nothing? Oh, yeah, I mean, totally. I mean, I'll tell a story from more of that time period. I don't know, 18, 19, 20. Iota Skateboards did, I'm trying to think, maybe two demos. It was, it was a weekend trip from Minneapolis. Iota was a, a brand out of Phobia Skate Shop. And like Steve Nesser rode for it. Chad Benson, Emmerich Pratt had pro, those dudes all had pro models. And um, I kind of tagged along on the demo trip and we we went to des moines to to do the skate park in the roller rink demo and then iowa city the next night so it was like one night in the hotel we had a we had a not a passenger van we had a cargo van 
with the entire back end ripped out. So it was the two front seats and then just metal in the back. And so like there was, I don't know, 15, 16 dudes in that van. We were just sitting on the back on the floor. And uh, on the way home, it was going to be four or five hours from Iowa City. Our uh, <laughs> quote unquote team manager at the time, Todd Turkey Brown asked, do you guys want beer or do you want food? We all opted for beer. So we sat all in the back of the, the van with no chairs, just on the floor, like drinking Budweiser's all the way back from Iowa City. That was tight. Sounds amazing. Oh, you didn't. You just, I don't know. <laughs> I don't remember stopping. <laughs> well, with the metal floor, young. it just, uh, you know, let it flow out the back. <laughs> God. God, I just... It's amazing what you have, what, what you can tolerate when you're younger, just like the kind of discomfort and awful conditions. I, I'm always reminded of probably the coolest tour of all time, the infamous tour, which lasted all of like two days where they smashed up the toilet. <laughs> Ryan Hickey got mad because somebody broke his radio. Fred Gall being like, I don't know, man. Oh, what a mess. Beautiful mess. Yeah. So... <laughs> Especially now that skating, okay, here's a, here's a lot of things that change. The audience has changed. It's not just like a bunch of little prepubescent and teenage boys. It's all kinds of kids of all different backgrounds, plus grown folks. You have uh, a lot more mixed, uh, mixed gender crews going out there on tour. You got a lot more DIY tours. But if we're speaking, if we're talking about demos, um, I should correct myself here. You know, speaking about demos, like how do you deal with those kids who are you know, they're coming in, they're trying to flex on a pro. Like they're hoping like either they're trying to be hometown hero or they're hoping they can get put on. Like, let me get a box. I've never been a fan of the hometown hero, but it's never the, the skater. Who's like that rad. They're always rad. And they're always a little bit, they're rad, but they're a little bit more. They think they're a little bit more rad than they are. And it generally ends up like acting a fool situation. Yeah. It's like the actual best skater in town is already hooked up and knows like proper etiquette. Exactly. Trying to think, has I mean, people have actually gotten hooked up in that in that manner. But are you? I guess does it depend on what part of the country you're in? Because the thing is, again, we're living in a time where skateboarding and skate culture is so much more accessible, and so you don't have the kind of hyper localism that you had even say ten or twenty years ago. Definitely not like you did thirty years ago. So people are going to have the quote unquote right fits. They're going to be au courant, you know. Like, it's not like you're going to stumble into some backwater where everyone's still dressed like it's 2006. That's going to be, that's going to be hard to find anywhere in America. At yeah, least I mean, in the lower 48. I feel like I talked to Mike Sinclair about this similar thing for a story, re- not recently, but in the past couple of years, where it's just like, there's, there's no secrets out there anymore. Like, you're not rolling into Boston in 1999 or whatever, and PJ Ladd's there before the demo starts just destroying the place and nobody's ever heard of the kid like everybody's out there and i mean if <laughs> if they're the hometown hero now has a bunch of like questionable ass skate park clips on their instagram and yeah and they probably have like twelve thousand followers and y- yeah they're getting karyuma flow or some shit yeah like they're, everything's they're cool real guy the, <laughs> they're they're cool guying all the pros and ams who are visiting i think that's got to be really hard in this day and age where everybody's good like to yeah you know how how as a pro skater can you go and do a demo and be impressive when it's like oh yeah my friend billy like he does kick flip front blunt big spin out on the skate park flat bar every day like you know gino Inucci, what the fuck are you doing well and i think another element of that is that like the playing field is so level now that i mean 
girl in chocolate rolls through the lair 24 years ago and like you're not nobody's talking to those dudes you're you're just like shit they're here you know nowadays i feel like yeah kids kid, there is no barrier because everything seems so accessible and um i'm sure it's a very different experience for you know certain old pros that have experienced it all yeah probably enough to make you want to hang it up <laughs> i mean <laughs> i was that there's like a world industries tour from the early 90s where everybody was just so pissed off that somebody ended up putting sugar in the gas tank was it javante or was it kareem because i I know like it's the story's been twisted a little bit over the years nobody really wanted to admit it but people were just trying to like get flown home sent home kicked off whatever anything i do recall that yeah I, i recall the legend but none of the details yeah and i guess you know we've talked about this a little bit before on the pod about how team managers have become better and that because at least at the skater level, rank and file level, the skaters are a little bit more understanding, switched on about mental health crises, addiction, and even just like common sense, best practices and operations for being on the road. And yet like crazy stuff still happens, you know, and people still end up getting sent home. Like something, you know, something goes horribly wrong. And so, you know, let's say you're on the other line, you know, you are on the, you know, you're on the company end and you're here just like, oh, such and such went crazy and they smashed up a hotel room and, you know, they totally slept through the demo. They pissed off the promoter. The distribution person is screaming on the phone. Like, what do, what do you do when things go completely left on a, on, when your team is supposed to be doing a demo in whatever city? I think you have two options. You either kick this kid off or you play into it. You know, if they're worth it, you're just like, you know, this could be the next Muska or the next Fred Gall or whatever, like, person who's made a career out of kind of being a shitbag who's actually really good at skateboarding when they get around to it. You know, like, imagine all the calls Dustin Dolan's team managers have gotten over the years. I get to, I have to wonder if he's really like the worst of the bunch. Yeah, I mean, he must be incredibly lovable. Can you imagine being, for example, and this wasn't even a... Uh, a demo this wasn't demo related but when alien workshop and habitat and all them were over in barcelona and smashed up that apartment imagine getting that call yeah insane (laughs) but i mean it's more often like you hear somebody oh this person got kicked off the tour or uh this person got sent home and i don't know and also like you know to their credit both muska and fred gall have had such beautiful redemption arcs in their respective stories that actually a lot of a lot of skateboarders who are older than us have a good number have revealed themselves to be actually much much better people or grown up to be much better people they were than say when they were in their late teens early 20s whiling out on the road you hope that that's what happened i just got to talk about seeing muska at an element demo i don't know let's say 2015 2016 the waning years of his career we were standing on the quarter pipe and i think you know he was not the center of attention and he noticed that we were we were feeling him, so I think he he gave us some fan service. He did, he first he nose slid the handrail, and that was dope. But then for for us quarter pipe guys, there's like four or five of us older guys. He did a frontside flip right in front of us, and he knowingly did it, and that was fantastic. And we gave him props. That's awesome. Yeah, that's so a was, real yeah, showman, you know. I was five feet away from a Muska frontside flip. It was great. That's amazing. Not a lot of people can say that. Seen one once. Amazing. I've never seen the Muska IRL. He is a sight to behold. He is an incredible MC. He, his presence is electric. He's cool looking. 
He had on like a Kandinsky, like maybe a MoMA shirt. I don't know. Wow. He had on a cool shirt. Yeah. Even, even late career, Muska was like, oh shit, it's fucking Muska. This is great. I got to catch <laughs> Muska before he became Farmer Muska. And he was wearing all white, threw out a couple of Muska flips, a couple of crooked grinds on a, on a fun box and then on a flat bar. He's, man, he still got it. He, 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 he's a showman. I mean, like Tony Hawk is a showman. I, I mean, there's some people in skating who, who understand the idea you've got to make a good show. And I think it's a lot of the people who came up in that um, through castle or through national or regional competitions, like people who understand that this is a part of skateboarding. They're not resentful of it. They're excited. They know, they know how to do the damn thing. You know, I, I, I often wonder though, like, how do you coax, like, say, like, like, there's skateboarding has a history of child prodigies. You know, how do you get, like, especially like shy kids, how do you get them out on the road and be like, hey, like, you got to get out there and do your thing. You can't just be like hanging out in the parking lot, you know, doing a hundred hard flips and getting them perfect. You got to make show, you know? Yeah, I wonder how that works. Cause I, I would think that PJ Ladd would be very reluctant to, to do a demo, but I've definitely seen some rad PJ Ladd demo footage. Yeah. Sometimes the, PJ did 500 hard flips in the parking lot. It was just part of the story, you know? Yeah, that is, like, more interesting than probably whatever tricks he would have done in, like, your standard issue indoor park. Like, yeah, that's, like, a way better legend. Mm-hmm. Okay, then on the flip side of it, you're a team, you're on tour, you pull up to a demo, and just like in the chocolate tour, setup is trash in 2022, though, because, you know, this great crust renaissance in skating has people skating all kinds of things what do you think is the lowest common denominator what's the worst thing that you could pull up to if you're a team you're on a demo you pull up to a parking lot park whatever what's the worst thing that they could come through with that you could still deliver i I think the pros can do it on anything you know like i think about who was it ronnie bertino backside flipping over a um, hand cart in one of those old plan b videos like just whatever's there, fucking rip it. That's what you got to do as a professional. That's a good point. That's a really good point. Okay, what if you pull up to the demo, team pulls up in a van, promoter, shop owner, whoever says, hey, welcome to insert town name here. This is what we got for you. And all they have is a metal trash can and a couple of parking blocks. Can you make a demo out of that? Or does that just feel like this is disappointing for the kids? I feel like you, you make a demo, you start stacking stuff, you start getting the crowd involved you're like all right we're gonna do a long jump all all the kids come lay down like i don't know i think if you're a good like i think a good team manager would handle that situation and still put on a good show somehow but yeah i think for the skaters i think it'd be pretty demoralizing to pull up to that but i also think that like part of the team manager's job or whoever's setting up the tour is to make sure that when the guys get there there's something good to skate ah but what if there's a little lip right before that trash can? I mean, you might just slam, ruin the trash can, and uh, you know, get a good clip and a good memory out of it. <laughs> you put on a show no matter what. I'm trying to think what's the most budget demo I've been to. I think the very first one was hookups that was in a parking lot. Lava Lounge in uptown Minneapolis was putting it on. And I can't remember if there were more obstacles than like a box and a launch ramp. And it was not a smooth parking lot by any means. I think Willie Santos and Jeff Raleigh were there. And I can't remember who else. Like, Oh, wow. What year was this? Was this Destroying America tour? No, no. This was like 1995. 
yeah it, i mean if it was sant was santos even on hookups though i no, but it was in like the birdhouse universe like distribution yeah yeah i mean and and we it must have been 95 like summer 1995 because i mean we didn't know shit about skateboarding at that point though we did it's the ywca parking lot covered parking lot and it's across the street from where familia is now and we we were skating in there and willie santos came in i think i, I must have recognized him because i'm talking about it now but that i think that must have been my first encounter with a pro then we went over to the parking lot like half an hour later. And I remember no tricks from it. That must have been the most most budget one. Though Creature came a couple years later and it was just, just like a sopping rain, like just flooding. And actually the parking lot flooded. They never skated, but they told all the kids to go into this like knee-deep water and they started throwing product into that. Sick. Dude, yeah. product tosses are the worst. It, it is. I always feel like somebody's either going to get hurt or something like... Uh, great! I, I want I want this stretched out T-shirt. Were you guys ever ones to uh, scrap in the product toss pit? Man, hell! Oh no. yeah, totally. Oh, you were okay. Yeah, I, I mean, what's your biggest come up? Oh, I got a board Chapman demo in Greenville, South Carolina. Got a Chapman board. Billy Rohan was there. I don't remember who else, but it was it was just completely random. And yeah, I got the board. I was fucking hyped. Dang. I did my Shut first up, backside nose grind shove it on that board. Backside nose grind shove it. Yep. I don't know, listeners, I don't know if y'all have seen, but uh, Templeton, he's been stacking some clips. The man's got heat. <laughs> There's still a little bit of fire left in me. Okay, so so Patrick mentioned Costin as like the eye-opening demo. What, what's the best thing you've seen, Templeton? The best thing I ever saw was Mike Maldonado backside 50-50 to 14-stair handrail, and Kerry gets ollied the 14-stair. Uh, this was, it was a Tomietto tour and I think this was the first demo I ever saw. And it was at the Lawrence Joel Veterans Memorial Coliseum in Winston-Salem, North Carolina. And the demo was in the parking lot and it, the handrail was like off in the corner and somebody noticed it and was like, let's check this out. Malmato also board slid it. It's in 411. I've got BGPs in it. It's nice. pretty amazing. <laughs> oh, word? Oh, the one where uh, it's the Tomietto team and they're skating to look back and laugh by a minor threat? Maybe a different tour. I don't remember I mean, the that's, music. It's a classic one. Yeah. But yeah, it was Tomieto used to do those tours where they would mix up uh, Foundation and Toy Machine Riders and they would do like basically two tours at once and like like splitting the teams across the country. And yeah, yeah we got they, one and they put on a hell of a show. I never got to see it, but it was um I think the tour that to me I think would be great to bring back was the Beauty and the Beast, the girl anti hero tours. Yeah, those mixed tours seemed sick. Yeah, like the fresh to death, yeah. zero and DGK. Man, that must have been hard body. Like we need some more of those, or we need like the DC Super Tour, where it's like we got custom jerseys, everyone looks good, and we got techno music. Yeah, I feel like making it interesting is like a cool idea. Like have some some like exclusive product mixed in, you know? Like make it special. Yeah, what was that? America uh, Lakai. They they did a tour together. Oh yeah, Had a good name, but I can't remember it. Stay flared, maybe. That's a free one if that wasn't what it was called. That's probably what it was <laughs> called. It'll be in the show notes. I'll find it. Wait, yeah. is there? They, uh, you better, you better charge for that, man. You can't be. You, you keep it. You keep giving out all these gems. <laughs> I bet it was stay flared. I don't know. Stay flared sounds right. So that uh, look back and laugh, Tom Yetto era demo 
they came through the twin cities and that was um they showed up a week after i saw my best demo which was plan b but more specifically rick mccrank and uh mccrank in like three tries switch 360 flip this large bump to bump that was a transition it was a transition up to like an eight foot top and then transitioned bank down and he deck checked it in three tries but like even deck checking on a transitioned landing is just gnarly and so tom Yetto rolls through a week to the day later and um the standout memory from that demo was jim greco trying to switch 360 flip that bump to bump the entire time uh, he never made it which era of greco um it was like well, he was zero Greco. It was like I turned into a Martian 411 Wheels of Fortune Greco. Like very uh, nondescript. White tee, boys cut, you know. Mm. Not too much <laughs> Mommy, can I go out and kill tonight? <laughs> Sorry, I had to do it. Shout out to everybody who had like three CDs or cassettes in their car. Two of them were a Misfits Collection 1 and Collection 2. Yeah, I, I had that CD a lot. I think CD one was way stronger than CD two. Oh yeah, absolutely. Collection one was like it was like collection one plus was it full clip a decade of Gangstar? Shout out to my boy Ryan Hand. Like that was like the two CDs that. Oh, I think he had a. Oh yeah, and then um, Third Eye was it Third Eye Vision by Hiro? Oh yeah, that's not a bad setup. That's, that's, yeah, that's a pretty a good triumvirate right there. Yeah, I mean it's it's very much us showing our age. Like you, you yeah. put any of those three up, that and uh, maybe like a like a random uh, Slayer mix, and you'd be good to go. Yeah, I mean, I mean the first year driving around skating, like the one CD, my buddy had you know the red '88 Honda Civic hatchback, two tens in the back, and we listened to um, Tribe Called Quest, Beats, Rhymes, and Life, like for an entire summer. I don't know how to feel about that because like. At the time, I enjoyed it, and looking back, it was just like, "Wow, this album is did this not album age is well. Not very good. Yeah, yeah. I've, it's I've frustrating. Actually, I dug it up, and there's some good songs on it, but a lot of it's just like, damn, you guys like took a hard turn, and yeah, it feels like sacrilege just saying that. And like, you could probably, I'm sure, like saying the wrong thing about that album could definitely get a fight started, depending on the crowd. <laughs> It's a very specific crowd, but yeah. <laughs> Shout out to Cal Beachy also, who like had the best stories about having, first of all, coolest, coolest Civic hatchback I've ever seen. Just like the photos that he has of it. And then just talking about just like the tapes that he was rocking. I was, I was like, I was like, dang, this dude like really loves hip hop. It's a good time to listen to hip hop. Oh yeah, absolutely. I've, you know, also gas was so cheap. God damn. I mean, <laughs> it was like what, 99 cents in New York? Yeah, it was like 95 cents when I first started driving. Oh my god, you, yo, 20 bucks, you are good to go. Like you, your friends just going around skating, you know, and then like, there'd be that evening. I was like, yo, just like, I, I wish I still had that sense of wonder where a bunch of people could be like, yo, we're going to post up and hang out in a parking lot. And you'd be like, yo, bet I'm there. Dude, so many parking lot hangs. I do that now with my kid. Like, <laughs> we got a butcher shop by us that's closed on Sundays and Mondays and like, Pretty much every day of the week, she's like, "Hey, should we go scooter and skate at Ready Meats?" And it's like, "I don't know, they're they're not open or they're closed." I can't even land the trick. <laughs> I can't land the statement, dude. That sounds that sounds like a place that's gonna end up becoming like a a legendary spot for your kids. It's like, yeah, I just roll through the Ready Meats. Been coming here since I was little. I just warm up, skate some flat, and then we go on do some other stuff. It, it, the 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 amount of pleasure she takes in just kicking it in a parking lot and rolling around and making up routines man it's it's beautiful 
I, yeah, I see the connection love- of skateboard play and uh, the childlike nature of it. Exactly. And basically is primed for either becoming a skateboarder or getting into thrash metal. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> All right. How do we transition to uh, being old and having to quit skating? I don't know. Just be. Probably just leave, <laughs> probably just leave that in and read read the script i mean all right we're all 40 plus we we all need our fiber yeah uh this week jankum took us inside rob pluhowski's workshop where he makes high-end furniture that got us thinking about the careers of ex-pros patrick you changed careers in your 30s what's that like starting over i think it really depends on how you grew up and also depends on the circumstances by which you are making that decision to start over if you have even a little bit of agency and that you're making a conscious decision to change jobs or change careers is so much easier because you've got that, you've got, it may not be a lot, but you've got enough confidence to be able to make a decision. When it happens to you, by contrast, that's where things can really go left. That's where things can actually spin out. And so one of the challenges is over time is trying to develop enough of a sense of self-awareness to determine what's going to happen next. And speaking about skateboarding, it's a super mixed bag. There are so many avenues now for skaters to talk about what happens after skateboarding, whether it's podcasts like this one uh, or many of our rival podcasts, a lot of blogs like Chrome Ball Incident, shout out to Chops, uh, 48 Blocks Back in the Day, Bob Shirt. And I think for me, it was making a conscious decision. I was working in nonprofits. I was playing music and DJing and writing and doing a million and one things. And I was starting to feel uh, physically and mentally overwhelmed by it. And also just frankly bored at my job. But, you know, I'd been working in the nonprofit space for something like, what, five or six years after graduating. And I said, well, I have some other interests. Let me at least try to cultivate them. So I spent a lot of time reading and researching and like thinking about possible scenarios and writing them out. And that's something that I found particularly helpful. At one point I was thinking like, maybe I could go back to school part-time and, you know, study electrical engineering. And that ended up being a little bit more complicated than, you know, I can solder and do some things like that, but um, just like time and money wise, it didn't make sense. Um, Especially, you know, already having an undergrad and a master's. It's a little or a lot different for skateboarding because you have folks who are coming from really different Uh, educational class, whatever background. So for you guys, what do you think is the thing that, what do you think is the thing about starting over that is so much harder for skateboarding? For me, I think the challenge is that for some skateboarders now, less so now, but in the nineties and the early two thousands, there were some skateboarders who either dropped out of high school or got a high school diploma and immediately went into the fast lane of professional skateboarding, which is insane if you compare it to the way that most people's, to most people's professional trajectories, right? All of a sudden you're getting flown places, you're traveling, you got a budget, you got a board, you're like, you're successful, you're somebody, you know? Even if it's you're writing for the tiniest of tiny companies, most people, most people grind through life being unrecognized. And as a sponsored skateboarder, but as, especially as a pro skateboarder, you're recognized. And I think there's having to come back into a relatively or mostly anonymous life can be a big culture shock. But what about y'all? What do you think is the big challenge for folks who have never done anything outside of skateboard? Because if you've had some type of job, especially food and beverage service industry, you could definitely do something else because those jobs put you through the ringer. So you, you can handle anything else. I think it's got to be hard for folks to 
get used to like accountability. I think in skateboarding, people get like skate stars get cut a lot of slack. I remember when I was filming for DBS, I went out with somebody and they were like basically not ripping. They were like backside grinding a 10 stair rail and trying to pass that off as good enough. And I was like, dude, that's like a warm up trick. And I remember going to like a, a DBS like team meeting or whatever. And the dude got a raise. And I was like, you're getting a raise for like not skating hard enough. And I think the idea was like the extra money would motivate this guy, but that really fucking bummed me out. And that's not going to happen at like your normal job. You'll get fired. So I, I think yeah. that accountability is probably tough for a lot of skaters. So that that reminds me of like trying to nail down the skateboard mag and just, or the skateboard mag interviews with guys, always guys back then. You know, it's like you busted your ass to shoot this thing. Now you're just going to shine the interviewer for weeks on end just for some reason. Like, yeah, that accountability piece would be huge just because it's and, and I mean, you've seen it more firsthand probably than either of us, Templeton. But like it, it, it doesn't operate on real world terms. No, not at all. Like you can go months without skating. I remember Barry saying he didn't skate for six months after the end. And I was just like, God, I can't imagine not skating for six months. And think about how much how draining it was shooting everything on film. Right. I'm sure, you know, big pressures and all that stuff. So then the other question is, because uh, we talk about Pluhowski, who he bowed out. He, I, he, he left the industry. You know, he left the party before he got kicked out and found his way into working on high-end furniture. And he's a master craftsman. He's exceptionally good at what he does. But the sad part is that for... A lot of us that we won't ever make it into a space where we become a master at whatever it is that we do. You might become quite good, but especially in the trades, to become a master, is, it's a really beautiful and, and, and time-consuming thing. You know, we have a list here, like in the show notes of like some of the, some of the spaces where skaters can make transitions. So like the trades, for example, construction, electrical, plumbing, depending on where you live and depending on the real estate construction market, you might be able to find your way into doing some physical labor that actually pays pretty well and in some cases can be union. Shout out to my union people. There's other stuff too, like food and beverage. Again, like if you can show up on time and deal with some pretty insufferable and awful situations, food and beverage will always hold you down. And some people have actually been able to make great careers out of, you know, going from bar backing a couple nights a week to next thing you know, you're managing a few bars for um, a little management company. But it's not always that easy. I mean, the you know, I'm just giving some examples that seem obvious, but you know, require a lot of physical labor and are quite intense. Um, but I don't know, y'all. Like, what are some other spaces for a skateboarder who has never done anything other than skateboard to go and doesn't have a path into the industry? That's another thing too. Not all companies have a an informal homie apprenticeship program where you say, hey, like uh, Scott Johnston is a great example. Bowed out of his career got into shoe design, next thing you know, your man's is now one of the best shoe designers at Adidas, you know, but that's not available to everybody. And it's not always uniformly made available. So what do you do if all of a sudden, like your sponsor just like, hey, contracts up, we're not renewing you. And uh, uh, we, we pulled you off of that trip to Mexico City. Good luck. I mean, I did a I did a thing talking to Matt Beach back when, where you know, all of a sudden he didn't have any sponsors anymore. This is, you know, he went away and then came back for a little while there. He went and worked at UPS. And I mean, he turned pro so young that he definitely never had any other job. 
And he was telling me that, you know, UPS beat the hell out of him in ways that he'd never gotten broke off in skateboarding, talking like bruised ribs, I think a scraped cornea, you know, just like terrible injuries in a lot of ways. And he worked there for nine months. And he was like, no, I'm going back. I'm going to figure out a way to be a professional skateboarder for at least a little while again. And he did that. You know, I think in a lot of ways, it's just if, if you've never done it, like just about any, I mean, jobs suck. Like a lot of jobs suck. And if you've never had one or you've never had accountability, like any entrance is going to be a rough one. I think it does just then come down to like the Scott Johnson, Johnston analogy example. Like you got to have interests. And I mean, just like any other sector of society, you know, more people are going to have the ability to go on to do things than other, or some people are going to have more ability to go on and do things than others. Yeah. I mean, skateboarding is so all consuming that it, it, it does make it difficult. And I mean, it's no huge shock that you see so many former or not so many former pros. or what am I trying to say? There's a lot of former pros that work in the industry because you know, you want to stay around it. Yeah. But then again, when you're on the inside, you want out. And when you're on the outside of skateboarding, you want back in. So double-edged. Yeah. Well, I mean, look at somebody like say Joey O'Brien, you know, full-time serious job, just turned pro for workshop, delivered one of the hardest parts of last year. I mean, was on Suchu's Sodi trip, you know, that guy skates on evenings and weekends. And I think that that's going to become increasingly common. And I kind of don't mind it. What well, do y'all think? It's, a, it's uh, and I'll let Templeton in here, but I think it's a huge, like it's a glaring example of the way that skateboard economics have changed where, you know, the middle class has shrunk. It's some people who make a bunch of money and then everybody else who doesn't. So having a legitimate trade job in the trades like you can make enough money and probably have the flexibility to then you know go to sardinia or wherever that trip was to exactly just be like hey guys i'm taking two weeks leave i'm going to sardinia oh <laughs> <laughs> mr natural was it national geographic over here <laughs> but no like there's also there's also the benefits that come with having a job i guess what's what's challenging though is that there's a lot of aspects with skateboarding as well as with music where you kind of have to be on call that you like having a job can get in the way. But like you said, Mike, the middle class of skateboarding has effectively been hollowed out. And so it's really hard to be, you know, somebody who's just like, like a Scott Johnston. Scott Johnston was not a top tier pro. He was great, but you know, he was not costing, but he wasn't just, you know, somebody on the flow gram either. Well, there's, there's like, this is tangent, but there's no longer just that like elite, this guy is dope. And he's just dope. You know, there's a, like a made man quality to it all. Mm-hmm. Yeah, everybody's pretty expendable these days. Yeah. I mean, like Templeton, what do you think? Like, actually, Templeton and Mike, you know, you know, all three of us work jobs. You know, Jason also works like we all have serious day jobs. But do you think it would be impossible to have a very demanding job and be able to be a real deal Holyfield professional? Basically what Joey O'Brien is, you know, white collar or blue collar, whatever the job but a job that is basically like you're doing, you're putting in 40 plus hours a week. Uh, you're not loafing or, or, or just hanging by. But at the same time, you're also putting in serious work as a professional skater. Could that become the model or is it just too demanding? And that's really only for some people. I think, I think the Joey O'Brien model is kind of only for some people, you know, like that's working 40 hours and then working as a pro skater. That seems like a lot, you know, like I work 40 hours and I feel like I don't have enough time to just skate for myself. 
So I can't imagine trying to do that as a pro and like other areas of my life that would suffer. So yeah, I don't think it's for everybody. I'd imagine that dude is, as they say, built different. And he's a damn good skater. Like, you know, not every skater can probably, some people got to skate more than they'd probably be able to do in that setup. Some people don't have to skate as much, but um, yeah. I, yeah. I, I really do think that guy's just an outlier in that, mm-hmm. you know, he came up, he turned pro probably long after, and I don't want to put thoughts into his head, but you know, if you're working, if you're working the job and you're, and you're, you know, committed to that in the sense that you're doing it full time, then maybe you kind of, uh, you know, put going pro on the back burner but he's a good enough skater where he's able to make it happen. Mm-hmm. I mean, what are some other trades or, or jobs that let's say you're a skater and your career has abruptly ended at age 27, 28. And here's the thing. Up until about your mid-30s, you have the energy to, to make these changes. You can do something completely different. It's really only after your, I'd say your mid to late 30s that it becomes much harder. But I mean, I'll also say that with the, a, a little bit of you know, I grew up in an immigrant household, so I have a lot of relatives who came over here and had to start all over. Qualify, school qualifications, whatever, meant nothing in the United States. I remember I have, a, I have an uncle who was cleaning toilets down in the World Trade Center through most of the 90s when he first came to the United States and was waiting to get his green card uh, via family reunion. You know, he, now he's a podiatrist. He lives in Texas, you know? So, you know, for me, it's just kind of just like, hey, like the, the only way is through, but not everybody has lots of examples like that, you know? What are some spaces, like, if you're a skater and, like, things have just dried up and your phone stopped ringing, your Instagram ain't buzzing like it used to, what's one of the first things that you could do to go and be like, I got to get me a job? I think uh, real estate is kind of, like, the the number one post, post-pro post career off-ramp. You know, there's, like, even that whole hashtag, skate to real estate. Tim Gavin, you know, he's the the poster boy for that. But that's, you know, you can do whatever, a certification course and become a realtor in less than a year. So, you know, if you see those those royalty checks dwindling, you can sign up and plan your exit. Yeah, I mean, if you got the gift of gab and don't mind driving around looking at places, you could probably do that. I mean, like, that is kind of within a skater's nature. Looking <laughs> at real estate is very similar to, you know, spot hunting, you know? You know, you learn all the nooks and crannies, the shortcuts. I mean, it wasn't Gavin saying that in one of his... I think it was his nine club interview. He said, like, I already knew LA County like the back of my hand from decades of skating here. So real estate was a relatively easy transition. Makes yeah, sense. it makes a lot of sense. I mean, I'm thinking of guys I know who used to be pro, you know, you go into coding where you can't, you know, if, if, if you got a mind that works that way, there's demand for that job. You know, it's a shorter program and you can make money. I'm trying to think. Yeah. Well, another guy who's, you know, doing art and maybe running a legal weed operation, stick to skating. I don't know. Yeah. Oh, actually, yeah. I mean, goodness. I mean, we didn't even talk about the black market, you know, the underworld. I mean, shit. <laughs> <laughs> you could always just sell drugs, but <laughs> do, <laughs> do that at your I, own I said a legal. I said a legal weed operation. Legal or <laughs> illegal? Legal. Legal. Oh, okay. No, I'm not. I'm not like. Even, I'm not hinting at some sort of criminal conspiracy. Uh, <laughs> to be clear, so what, what? What made you want to go and push weight? Well, you know, skate career dried up. So next thing you know, got a package from a man, flipped it. Next thing you know, <laughs> that could be good for your skate career. You know, like you'd be like the drug dealing pro skater, kind of like a rapper. You know, like create that I persona, mean, launder I, that money into it, starting a new skate company. 
guy was never pro, but I know someone who was like FedExing sheets of acid from Oregon back to his home state. That that was that was the thing. That was a post sponsored job for a little bit. I mean, it's a job. It, it may not be one where hey, you know, <laughs> but. I mean, for some, for some people, for some people, that might be a late, and especially now that you know a lot more places are decriminalizing shrooms and weed is legal in a little more than half of the states in the United States. Like, that's a legit thing too. Just like goodness, like, hey, you you could go and get a, a legit cannabis job in twenty twenty two. So, like, that's a real option. No, that's good because a lot of pro, you know, skaters like their weed. Yeah, exactly. they got experience. Exactly. It's like, <laughs> so tell me about some of these gaps in your resume. I'm I, I'm not quite understanding. Yeah, I got to imagine the the weed uh, interviews are pretty interesting. <laughs> Maybe it's just like a bunch of laughing. I, I don't know. I mean, I think for like the stuff where you're working on weed apps, like delivery, such and such, uh, legal policy, like there's you can get into spaces where it can actually become quite lofty and actually very, very professionally challenging. And I mean that in the best way, the best way possible. But, you know, it's still a relatively new industry. But I'm trying to think like what what else? Um, because I, like, I'm also like, like we had said earlier, like, unless you got the hookup or you happen to be somebody that everybody likes and gets along with, it's really hard to get a, a jobby job in the skating. Like, you know, one, like for real, for real, where you can actually have some, uh, opportunities for professional development, mobility, maybe even get yourself like a little, uh, like a, like a, a little benefits package for real, for real. I mean, you know? there's, there's, I feel like there's a lot of, you know, sales for former pros. For instance, when I worked at Familia, our Adidas rep was Tom Hornan, who was like pro for Scarecrow way back in the day, but mm-hmm. was, you know, wow. had a shop in, I think, Tennessee, I want to yep. say. Tennessee. But yeah, yeah, you know, he rolls through and introduces himself and you like do the math. Oh, okay. Yeah, that dude. Weird. <laughs> Weird. Yeah. Cool. Yeah. Sales is uh, like sales is another big one. I talked to Moses Itconin on the phone one time because he was oh, selling RDS stuff. Yeah. What's he, Is he a mason now? Like, does he do concrete work? Maybe. Speaking of which, Ed Salego digs pools now. Oh, really? Who do you use to ride for again? Was it Planet Earth? Planet Earth, yeah. Habitat at the end, too. Yeah. Which is a little Audio. odd. Yep. But I think the, the other thing, too, is um, with enough passage of time, eventually, you know, your career becomes far more well-developed than anything you ever did in skateboarding. And that's just a factor. Of, that's just time at work. So it's very interesting every now and then to just jump on LinkedIn and just tap in the names of uh, pro skaters that you grew up watching and seeing like <laughs> pretty serious jobs. I mean, um, Justin Girardi, uh, formerly Justin Girard, um, he de-anglicized his name, uh, yeah. has been working in software development, UX and UI, I think since the Mad Circle. Um, I've messaged with him like once or twice, like super, super nice. He answered like a couple of uh, more career focused questions that I had for him. But, um, you know, like, that's a really good example there, you know? I mean, he was kind of tinkering with that stuff back in the day, and now, like, that's his career, like, you know, some 30 years later. By the way, Man Circle was so dope, I really would have lasted was, uh, longer or would, or if a company could follow in their footsteps. They, they, were, the, they were a vibe, a, a very spot-on vibe at the time. Mm-hmm. Speaking, Sick team. Speaking of, yeah, other, like, the high-achieving end of things, Randomly came across Jeff Taylor, former Planet Earth pro, uh, once known as Darkman in the skateboard industry because he made stuff happen. He's now like an executive at a mountain bike brand. So there's that. Oh, so basically another path out is like other action sports. Like 
like skateboarding didn't really work out. So now I'm doing some stuff for a wakeboarding company. Well, I mean, yeah, you get some good brand management chops and that, yeah, that and you slides understand what's in pretty cool. much anywhere. Yeah. I well, I mean, it, just if you're pro too, like I've, I've heard Jeff Taylor stories about just being like, you know, gnarly professional business type that fits anywhere too. Mm-hmm. But here's the thing, like, isn't skateboarding the coolest of all the action sports? Definitely. Right? Like, <laughs> Well, how, how cool it would, would it be then to make mountain, mountain biking seem cool, you know? How do you make mountain biking cool, though? You just got to go do it. I don't know if there's I guess so. Cool I mean, like, it. mountain yeah, biking think... is tight, but, like, it doesn't have, um, like, there's no streetwear component to mountain biking. Like, there's no, there's no being fresh riding a mountain bike. Damn, the fresh mountain biker? Maybe that's an unfilled niche. Oh, that'd be hard body, just like an all-white fit. <laughs> I'd be stoked on some fresh uh, mountain biking vibes. Which brings us to the end of our show where we talk about what we're stoked on. Mike, what are you stoked on this week? Speaking of biking, um, stoked to finally ride my bike some long distances. I absolutely have bike legs right now because of the exercise bike in my basement and my inability. And not even I didn't even need to go skating during this rather shitty spring up here in the Twin Cities where it just never really warmed up for the past couple of months. So I've got exercise and bicycle legs, trying to get my skateboard legs back, but it's pretty tight going out and biking. I can go really far right now, so I'm stoked on that. And then last night I watched the Baz Luhrmann film Romeo and Juliet, and uh, it came out in 1996. I'd never seen it, and um, I highly recommend it. It was fantastic. Reminded me of hot summer times in my younger times. And uh, it's just, I don't know, older movies. I'm kind of on a kick. I was on the, uh, what, Max Reed 90s dad thriller kick. Maybe we can get that, that link in the show notes there. But just digging movies from like 93 to 2003 right now. That Romeo and Juliet is a trip. It's, uh, it's pretty bonkers. Patrick, what are you stoked on? Romeo, thou art a villain. I actually just uh, watched that for the first time a few months ago. My wife Sick. loved that movie. I thought it was cool. Baz Luhrmann is tight, um, except the audio on the streaming version is not mixed particularly well. So I'm gonna have to seek out a better copy. Uh, yeah. But this week I am stoked on Spitfire Wheels, Fender Jazz Masters. I'm in the process of um, working on a mid '90s Japanese Jazz Master and turning it into a kind of Sonic Youth guitar because I've been listening to a lot of uh, mid to late '90s Sonic Youth. So pretty much everything from the uh, washing machine until I think it's Murray. Uh, also stoked on long bike rides too. Just uh, I have a single speed and I've been riding out from right near LA High, which is near where I live, and all the way out to Marina Del Rey, which is I think yesterday was 20 miles round trip and I was absolutely exhausted and I'm still in pain, but it's still great fun. Last weekend, the CSEF fundraiser was really fun. And uh, got to talk to Gabby from Bigfoot Magazine, which is always a pleasure. Love their work. And um, RIP Alan White from Yes, who also drummed with the Plastic Ono Band. Uh, Ray, Ray Liotta. Oh, my God. You know? Yeah, right. Oh, man. Henry Hill, the God. <laughs> and um, Fletch. Uh, and, you know, Fletcher from, um, from Depeche Mode. It's a, it's a sad day. Uh, Templeton, what you stoked on? Uh, man. Not stoked on all those uh, RIPs, but for me, I'm stoked on the all-white Adidas Gazelles that I got this week. They're from the Clean Collection, and they look very clean indeed. Stoked to skate those. I got two pairs, so it's kind of like one one to skate, one to you know rock not skating. Uh, also stoked on 
COVID-19 vaccine because I have COVID-19 right now and it sucks, but it's not that bad thanks to the thanks to the vaccine. So stoked uh, on that. And uh, with that, that's it for our show this week. Be sure to check out mostlyskateboarding.net for links to the things that we talked about and other show notes. Until next time, you can keep up with us all week online. Patrick, where can the people find you? <clears throat> you can find me on Twitter at Colonel K Speaks or on Instagram at Pikigongo and also as the acting executive chair of the board for We're Cooking Up for Summer 2020. Mike, where can the people find you on the internet? Not Bobby Digitals, okay. Uh, Twitter and Instagram, same handle, at M. Munzenreiter. Templeton, where are you on the web? Web 3. <laughs> you can find me on the internet, at, uh, on Twitter, at Mostly Skate, and on Instagram, at Mostly Skateboarding. See you guys next week. Don't